I've been saying it as long as I've been preaching. God does not call lazy people. He calls everyone. But let me put it, let me back up and say this. He does not put his anointing and implement a vision in the life of someone lazy. In fact, he says, if a man does not work, he's not supposed to eat. Are you with me this morning, church? So here's the thing. If you are waiting to have time to go through Ambassador's College, if you are waiting to have time to serve on the ministry team in this house, if you are waiting to have time to preach the gospel, to sing, to serve, to teach, to go to the mission field, to go change somebody's life and live a life of greatness, I got news for you. The devil will never permit you to have enough time. Is this good preaching already? You will never have time. It's just like I laugh when I hear these, these young couples. And I, we may have even said it ourselves as a young couple. But I laugh at you. People ask them almost immediately. First thing, when somebody gets married, almost immediately what happens? They ask them, how's married life treating you? Well, it's treating you good. What's the very next question that you ask them? When you're going to have babies, right? And it drives young couples insane because, you know, they want to spend some time with each other before their life is forever changed. I mean, their life is forever changed when you have a baby. But you hear things like this and it's sort of laughable. And I'm not meaning to be demeaning young couples if you said that, said this. But, but for those that have had children, we sort of snicker because we understand the, the real picture. You'll hear people say, well, we're going to have kids when we can afford them. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We just got to pay a few things off and we're going to save up some money. And we're going to, you know, we've, we've got all this, we've got a spreadsheet out. Where's Liette? We've got the spreadsheet and, the, the, and everything's got to win. I've got to, on the spreadsheet, when we hit this point, we'll be ready. How many of those, I don't care if you're a multimillionaire. You are never going to be able to afford. And certainly you are never truly mentally ready to have a child. Having a child is absolutely one of the, one of the most on the job training jobs you'll ever have. You can read every book, you can watch every video in the world, but how many knows that when you love that child, you find a way to be a parent? Even if you had no clue how to do it, even if the child was not planned and it did not fit the spreadsheet, you find a way, don't you? Can I tell you something? That's what ministry is about. That's what a life of greatness is about. You don't allow the things in your life to determine if you're ready. I'm all about rest. I know that God wants us to rest. But the Bible tells us, listen, we need to be concerned with what Jesus said, not what we are saying. Because many times we'll say things about ourselves that are not even biblical. Are you hearing me, church? I'm going somewhere with this. I know what time it is. I'm on a strict schedule today. Now watch this. We will say things like, Lord, I need a break. This is too much stress. This is what God says. You better work while it's day. That's what Jesus said. You better work while it's day. Because the night's coming when no man can work. In other words, this is what he's trying to say. You don't want to get to the end of your life and regret that you didn't take the chance. That you didn't push yourself. That you didn't stretch yourself. 
Go to the store today, go to, go to Walmart today, go to the office section and find the rubber bands. On that shelf, there's, there's bags of rubber bands. On the outside of that shelf, it says rubber bands. It may say contents, 1,000 rubber bands. If you could hear the voices of those rubber bands, they would be screaming. I know what the package says, but I don't feel like I'm being used to my potential. It's one of the chapters in my book. I see greatness in you. It's called the rubber band revelation. It changed everything when I picked up a rubber band one day and just stretched it. And I realized that a rubber band is never in its purpose. It's never in who God has called him to be until he is stretched. When that rubber band is stretched outside of that package, then that rubber band can look at all the back of them, uh, all the ones that are still in the bag and say, listen, dude, you have no idea what this feels like. I didn't even think it was possible. Look, but look at me holding all this stuff together. One of the rubber bands screamed out, yeah, but I've heard rumors. If they stretch it too far, you'll pop. Most people live the rest of their life fearing being stretched too far before they'll pop. Therefore, they never allow themselves to be stretched at all. Oh, I know that sometimes we go to breaking point. I know sometimes we do stretch too much and we pop. But don't let the fear of popping and breaking keep you from a life of greatness. I was told I was a bum. I was told I was a failure. I was told I would be in jail. I was told I would be dead before I was 50. I was told all these things. You know who told them, told them to me more than anybody? Me. But when I allowed God to come into my life, and I'm not where I need to be yet, but I'm on my way. As I did, somewhere along the way, I didn't say these words, but this is, what it, this is the illusion of what, or the intent of what I was trying to say, is this, God stretched me. Stretch me to the point that I think I'm about to break. Because, watch this, with the Holy Ghost in my life, I'm stronger than I ever thought I could ever be. Doesn't the word of God say greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world? There's greatness within you. Say this with me. There's greatness within me. But as long as you stay in that bag with the rest of the rubber bands, you'll never know it. You'll never be, you'll never be able to help somebody hold something together in their life. There's nothing quite like being in the ministry when God stretches you to the point that you are, that you are become the hands and feet of Jesus and you are able to stretch someone else, but not to stretch them to hurt them, not to stretch them, uh, to, to put them in a place of depression or, or self doubt, but to stretch them enough to where you can teach them and mold them how to hold things together. Because the purpose of a rubber band is not just to stretch. It is the stretching process that reveals its purpose. See, I can tell you, I ain't got one up here with me. I usually keep one with me. But I got a rubber band that's about this wide. But it's about that thick. It's not one of those little baby rubber bands. It's a thick, it's the width of it, but it's about that long. But it's designed to stretch up to about this big to go around a giant binder. And I use it to hold this together. But you'd never know it's sitting there. But its purpose is to hold things together, but it cannot get to its purpose until it is stretched. But we say to God, we God, we want to use, be used by you. Here we are, Lord. I'm your hands and feet. Use me, Lord. And God says, okay, you really mean that? Yes, God, use me, Lord. Then God responds to that by saying, okay, get ready to be stretched. A life of greatness does not come 
just when you read a book about I see greatness in you or hear somebody preach a message on the greatness that God has put in you and all of a sudden you get the revelation. You have to be willing to be stretched. Am I preaching right? Say amen. So I don't see anything greatness in me. Well, wait a minute. Genesis 126 says we're created in his image, right? In his likeness. We came out of him. How can we not have greatness in us when we came out of him? He didn't look at the dogs. I love a dog. I love, you love your dogs and your cats. He didn't look at them and say it's very good. In other words, for very good is it's great. There's good and the next step above. We can't say gooder. The Lord didn't look at him and say, hey, boy, they're gooder. Very good is the King James way of saying they're not just good like the trees. They're not just good in the evening and the morning was the first day and the Lord said it was good and he saw that it was good. They're not just good. They're gooder. Your mama would correct you and say, that's not a word. And what would you say? They're great. When I look at them, I see greatness because they were created in the image of God. How many of those God is great? First thing on your notes is simply this. Our Father has always seen greatness in us. Regardless of what we've seen in ourselves, our Father has always seen greatness in us. How many of those, there's nothing quite like the affirmation of a father and a mother who can look at you and say, I see greatness in you. Are you hearing me? Our Father has always seen greatness in us. God can see through mistakes. He can see through wrong decisions, toxic environments. He can even see greatness through sin. Can I get an amen? How many, how many is thankful that he can see greatness through sin? Because the reality is this. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So no one would ever live a life of greatness if he chose sin to be a block on the greatness that's within us. This is good preaching, whether you like it or not. In other words, I always like to say it this way. God is big picture. Say it with me. God is big picture. Say this with me. My God is big picture. See, if you can't see the big picture of your life, he can see the big picture of your life. Are you thankful? This blows our mind when we begin to think about it this way. This means that before he ever said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let's give him dominion over the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, everything that creepeth upon the earth. Let us give him dominion over all of it. Make him perfect in our image. Clothe him in the glory of God. Walk with him in the cool of the day. He knew they were going to sin. What kind of loving God is that? See, you have to make sure that you do not allow yourself to filter God through your finite mind. Your finite mind will never make sense out of God. Grace is not fair. We do not serve a fair God. We serve a just God. How many of those there's a difference between a just God and a fair God? I'm thankful that our God is not fair. When I, say, when I started saying that early on in the barn, people just look at it like that little puppy dog look. You know, somebody goes in there when you're eating beef jerky or something in the kitchen, and he's just like, what's that? I don't know what it is, but I can smell it. I think I want it. That little puppy dog look, that's why the church would look at me. They'd be like, what? God's not fair? He's not a loving. I didn't say he wasn't a loving God. didn't say he wasn't a just God. He's not a fair God. Grace is not fair. Grace is defined as undeserved favor. Unearned favor. Fair means you get what you deserve. 
If we all got what we deserve, how many knows we wouldn't be singing about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'd be like, when we all get to hell, it's going to be bad. How many knows nobody sings that in church, right? Amen. But how many knows without the grace of God, we're, we're headed to hell. That's what we deserve. Is this good preaching? Did y'all have your coffee this morning? Okay. Not just yes, but I heard somebody say, yes. Must have been some good coffee. See, in other words, he's big picture. See, see, it messes people up when you remind them that the word of God said that Jesus Christ, listen, is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the foundation of the world was not the dirt. The foundation of the world was the spoken word that came out of God. Let there be light. Before there was ever a word, listen, we can't have a word without the light. You, you let the sun go away and guess what happens to this earth? We're gone. So a part of the earth and a part of who we are began with light and water. Are you hearing me? And then all the separation happened. So in other words, when you begin to grasp this, at the moment that he said, let there be light, the word of God the second part of the Trinity said, I'll die. Yes. Yes. I'll die for everything that we're about to create. Yes. Because when they give up on themselves, they need to know from the foundation of the earth that we know going in, that we knew going in, they could never be us. We're the only, we are God. When I say us, you understand there's one God, eternal existence, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. In other words, God said, they could never be me Therefore, from the very beginning, I need them to know I'm not going to throw them away. I'm not going to disqualify them. It will hurt me. It will grieve me. But I have a plan to make sure what I destined and determined them to be, that nothing they do disqualifies them from that if they come through me. Somebody ought to shout amen right now. Come on. Somebody just give him praise right now. Is that the best praise you could get? I said somebody give him praise right now. Come on, Solid Rock Church. Somebody shout, thank God for grace. Next thing you notice is this. God didn't overlook Adam and Eve. He didn't overlook their sin. He simply could see beyond them. I'm thankful that God could see beyond Adam and Eve. We, th- we are the ones that can't see beyond us. Are we not the, our greatest critic? Are we not our greatest judge? How many of us, we have people that we love all around us say, I forgive you, I trust you, you're going to do this, you're amazing. And everybody whose opinion we normally trust is positive. And we might put on a smile and say, thank you, that means the world to me. But when we get by ourselves... How many knows we continue to disqualify ourselves? So that's why God says, listen, you, you'll never be able to do this on your own. If you try to do this on your own, you will fail every time because you will never see the big picture. You will never see yourself the way I see you. Come on, somebody. See, grace is a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. Some people in some churches, and quite frankly, in the charismatic Pentecostal church, some folks will 
believe that grace, they're afraid of grace. Because there's one, there's one side of doctrine, you know, they call it, this is the, the southern slang for it, it's, it's called eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security, but those that don't agree with it call it once saved, always saved. You ever heard of that? You may, you may believe that. I'm not here to debate that. Then you got the other side that's so adamantly against eternal security, once saved, always saved, they're scared to death every day in their life they're going to lose their salvation. Huh? I, I was raised in an environment that I was scared to death. I played scenarios in my mind all the time. I'll be like, well, God, what would happen if, I, if I'm driving down the road and, and a deer jumps out in front of me and it scares me and I don't have time to think about it and pray and I swerve to miss the deer and I hit a tree and right before I hit the tree, I say a cuss word and then I die. I'm going to hell. Now, now some of y'all be like, are you serious? The rest of y'all that's laughing will be like, that's me too. I was raising that too. How many knows what I'm talking about? And I, I, as I got older, I began to do something foreign to most Christians. I read the Bible. <laughs> Actually read the Bible. And I began to read the Bible and I began to see that we had destroyed the unbelievable power of grace. First of all, I began to think more rationally. I began to think that if I'm really serving God, I just don't think right before I hit the tree, I'm going to probably cuss. Now, some of y'all might. <laughs> and I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm not a cusser, but you never know. I got a feeling I'd probably say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> or something. But you know what? I ain't got to even say anything. Because I don't have to call him in me. At that moment. He was in me at that moment. Am I preaching right? At the same time, on the flip side, I don't think grace is a license for you to come in and get saved when you're 10 years old in vacation Bible school and then go live any way you want to live. How many of those the Bible says they'll, they'll know you as my children as by the fruit you bear? You'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. Come on, somebody. You know, I ain't got time to preach on eternal security, but it goes on to say, Peter says this, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known the way of righteousness and turn away from the holy commandment given unto them. So watch this. Live a life that is balanced and serving God. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. So in other words, God said, we're supposed to be different. Okay, we're not supposed to fit into the world. The world is supposed to be trying to come to us. And we're supposed to be living a lifestyle they see something different about us. Okay, that's another sermon another day. Are you with me? But I've always looked at that moment in the garden when Jesus came in the garden and God said, where are you? I've always looked at that as the first altar call because he already knew where they were. He already knew what they did. Not only did he know that they had ate of the tree, he already knew that they were ashamed of their nakedness. He already knew that they had taken fig leaves and tried to cover themselves. He knew it all. God is all-knowing. Let me free you up right now. Stop trying to hide from God because it's useless. Let me, let me help you right now. Stop thinking as long as everybody at church thinks you're okay, you've got God fooled. That is silly. 
People will act so weird when they see me coming. They changed what they're, they'll be looking at a magazine in Walmart and I'll throw that magazine down. Oh, praise the Lord, Pastor, how you doing? I want so bad. And nowadays, I, I'm, I'm at the age now that I do do this every once in a while. I, just the best with people, especially the people that I know and love. I'll go up to them and say, oh, I already saw what you're looking at, but I'm, it's cool. I mean, they'll, they'll think as long as Pastor Larry thinks I'm okay, then I'm okay. Can I tell you something? It don't matter what I think of you. I didn't make you. I didn't define you. I got nothing to do with who's, where your name is written in, in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. I ain't got nothing to do. I didn't build your mansion. I didn't, pay, I didn't pour the concrete, the, the golden concrete out in front of your house. I ain't got nothing to do with what's going to happen to you in eternity. I am to equip you here for the work of the ministry, but you got to get to a place where you see yourself the way God sees you. I can't do it for you. I can see greatness in you. I can call it out in you. I can write a book and try to pull it out of you. But if you don't accept it, focus, Larry. It's 10.03. Is that right? 10.03. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, y'all. So he did the altar call because all he wanted them to do is come clean. But instead of coming clean, they start blaming everybody. First they said, we're naked. Then he says, okay, here's another altar call. How many of those preachers will be like, first altar call, I'm going to count to three, hands up. First hand up. First, number one was, where are you? They didn't move. He goes, okay, okay, okay. Every head bowed, every eye closed, everybody being quiet while the musicians are playing. Who told you you were naked? Number two. He's working it. He's preaching, man. He's working the crowd. He's giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Who told you we're naked? Well, 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 you know, we were ashamed. God was like, I knew you were naked. I made you naked. Uh I was there when you come in the world naked. You telling me nothing? I don't know. Well, well, I'll tell you what, God. I was, I'll be honest with you, God. I know you know everything, but I was pretty good by myself. I was enjoying naming Simba and Nala and seeing them get together as a family. I mean, naming all the monkeys and stuff. I was good. But remember, I never said I was alone. You're the one that said it's not good that I was alone. And you gave me that woman. If you'd have never gave me that woman, she'd never ate the fruit. She'd never had that conversation with the snake. And I'd never ate it, God. Because you know me. I'm your son. I would have never ate of that fruit if it wasn't for that woman. Read your Bible. That's what, that's what happened. So God was like, okay, if you're not going to be a man and man up because I know the truth because you were standing right behind her, didn't even have enough guts to even say a word. See, when you see the pictures drawn, you always see Eve standing there. Very seldom do you see uh, Ab standing there because the Bible says she took of the fruit and ate, watch it, and turned and gave it to her husband. That's in your Bible. So he was too much of a coward. He wouldn't even talk to the snake. He wouldn't even tell his wife, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Put that back. Drop that. He didn't say nothing. He was just like, I'm going to watch and see if she dies. Huh? If she's still alive after she eats it, it does look good. I'm going to try it. But if she's dead, I'm just going to start hook a bucket and praising God and say, God, I didn't, I'm not like that woman. Am I preaching right? She says, okay, if you're not going to man up. Eve, you got anything to say? Well, God, 
We were all good until you had to make the snake. If you would have never made the snake and put the snake in the tree, we'd have never had to have the conversation. What were they on? What were they both doing? They were both blaming God. Are you hearing me? not the first time throughout scripture we see God being so big picture on people. The most famous disciple of all the 12 disciples is Peter. Would you agree? Peter is famous because of a lot of things. He's famous obviously because he preached the very first Holy Ghost sermon in Acts chapter two. But can I tell you something? What he's famous more for than anything is what? That he denied Jesus three times for the rooster crowed, right? That's a pretty epic failure. But let me, let me show you how big picture God is. Let me show you how he sees greatness in us, even when he knows what we're going to do. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. It's shortly before he goes into Jerusalem on Passion Week. He looks at the disciples and he says to, he says to Peter, he's already changed his name to Peter, which means the rock, the, the little rock, the pebble. Upon this church, upon this statement that you've made that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, the gates of shell, hell shall not prevail against it. How many of those he stuck his chest out and go, Woohoo, you're right, I'm the rock, baby. Now, watch what happens. He knew that even though he was the rock and he changed his name to Peter, Simon, his original name, the old man, was still messing with him. How many of us, just because we, we get born again, just because we're saved, how many of us, we still have the memories and the, and the personality traits and the habits many times of the old man that we bring into the new man? Some of y'all get so mad when, when a person who was a hellion with a capital H, come on somebody, gets born again and radically saved, and all of a sudden they don't stop smoking, they don't stop completely drinking, they're trying their best to stop cussing, they don't cuss as much as they used to, they've made a dramatic turn. You hear them say one cuss word, or you see them smoking a cigarette or something, and you want to throw them away and say that God didn't even change their life. First of all, you ain't even got the right to do that. But listen to what he said. When he wanted to speak to the old man, and he's looking at Peter, he would call him by his old name. And if Jesus ever said anything twice, you better know he's trying to get. That's why you're reading the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you. It was meaning, uh, then he would say, again, I say unto you. Many times he would say, he that is an ear to hear, let him hear. These are all different kinds of things you say. Listen, these are really important things. And whenever he would call somebody's name twice, he would really get their attention. This is what he said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one: Simon, Simon, Satan has desired, has asked to sift all of you, but especially you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, did you see that? And when you have turned back, in other words, he's going to get you and you're going to turn against me. But when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, even today. You will deny me three times that you even know me. 
You won't talk about a blow. You won't talk about somebody that was, that quit the church that day. Modern church, modern church. If a spiritual leader in modern church looked at him and said, I hear what you're saying. I know you feel like you had a call in God and you're laughing and everything, but let me just tell you what God's told me before, before we go to bed tonight and get up in the morning, I just want you to know that God's already told me that you're going to go to work and you're going to, you're going to call your pastor a liar and you're going to disown this church. So pastor, I'd never do that. I love you. Listen, I'm telling you right now, I know what God told me. Most people would say, you know what? My pastor has lost it. I got to find me another church and they'd have left the church. How many knows Peter was adamant. There was no way that could be him. He had walked away from a thriving business, left his family at home, abandoned everything to serve this man for three and a half years. And here it is at the end of his ministry, a little over three years later getting ready to finally do what he's been promising that he was building towards to do. It was all coming to pass. And here is his Messiah that he left everything for saying, you will deny me. You will mock me. You will make fun of me. And you know the story. It happened. And the third time that it happened, the Bible says this, that he looked at that little girl around the campfire and he cursed the name of Jesus. And I've illustrated it before, and people make them uncomfortable, but I'm, that's what I do sometimes. That's a rubber band. I'm making you uncomfortable. If it was in modern day, it would have said, I do not know that MF Jesus. That's the equivalent of what Peter said. Go back and look at that curse. That word curse, it doesn't mean speak a curse over somebody. It means to cuss. And the Bible says at that very moment, Jesus walked by, and they looked at each other eyes to eyes. Can you imagine the devastation of Peter? The Bible said he, he realized what he did. He realized that God actually was big picture, that God actually did see what he was going to do. And it happened exactly the way God saw. And the Bible said he ran behind a wall and wept bitterly. Am I preaching good? So what was Jesus trying to do? He wasn't trying to make Peter feel bad. He was trying to tell Peter, even though I know what you're going to do to me, I also know how I'm going to use it to shake you and mold you in such a way that it will change you. Your failure will change you in such a way that you will strengthen. The very brothers that couldn't believe that you would ever do that to me. You're going to become a leader out of your failure. In fact, that's what, what he said. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But the most powerful part of it all is he says, listen, I want you to know that Satan can't do anything to you. And I know it messes up your theology. Unless I allow it. Remember what happened in Job? He had to come and ask permission. I know it don't make sense. That doesn't mean God puts it on us. But God never wastes anything. Are you hearing me? God never wastes anything that happens to us. He'll use it all for his glory for let it happen. He said he's going to try to sift you. Why is he trying to sift you? He's trying to find every impurity in you so that he can find a way to, to snatch him, snatch you away from me. But I want you to know that I know it's coming. 
I've allowed it to come. And the only reason I've allowed it to come is here's the reason. I have already prayed for you. Before it ever even happens, Jesus said, I have already prayed for you. You say, well, that was Peter. Wait a minute. Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, I, I'm going away. And he said, I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the, and, the, and the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about sitting at the right hand of the Father. He says, we only have one mediator, one go-between, between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. It ain't Pastor Larry. You don't come to Pastor Larry and ask me to take your sins to Jesus. You go to Jesus because the Bible says, Hebrews says, he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father forever interceding on our behalf. I'm glad I'm getting to preach this first service because I ain't going to get to do a second service. I'm giving you everything I got. So he reminded Peter of his inner greatness that would come out afterwards. See, God needs, God, man needs God inside of him, on him and around him. We are doomed to failure without God. The hidden potential inside each of us continues. We continue to cover that greatness by lies and self-denial. For many, the greatness of our spiritual DNA has been buried by the trials of life. We are overwhelmed by family struggles, finances, health, politics, religion. These are all tools of the enemy to cover our greatness. But just as Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves in their shame, we are constantly trying to conceal our shame as well. These were some quotes from my book. The next thing on your notes is this. We have to stop thinking that we can cover ourselves from our shame. It is not possible. How do we cover ourselves with shame? We cover it with drugs. We cover it with alcohol. We cover it with sex. We cover it with fame. We cover it with a bigger car, a nicer car, a bigger house. You've seen in the media just in this last week, I don't want to belittle the horrible th- things of suicide, but you're talking about two multimillionaires who drive the finest cars, live in the nicest homes, can go anywhere in the world they want to go in. But, but a life that would take them to a place, whatever the circumstances are, I'm not belittling depression, I'm not belittling anything, but I'm just telling you there was a, a sense of hopelessness in both of their lives that the only thought in their mind, to the only answer was to end it. an epidemic there's people you work with there's people you go to school with there's people on your neighborhood who are thinking the same thoughts you don't even realize it they've learned how to put that facade on they they take 20 pictures before they ever post the right one on instagram so that you so the right one looks the perfect lighting the perfect smile the perf their perf their good side so that everything looks just right so that everybody sees that picture thinks my god if i only had their life But all they're doing is trying to sow a fig leaf. Next thing you notice is this. God knows the truth about the real you. He made you. God knows the truth. Lie to me. I won't know it. I'm not good at telling. I'm not good at picking out liars. I've been lied to by a lot of people and didn't know it. Sometimes I can see it because some people are just really bad liars. (laughs) I mean, really bad. But some folks are really good liars. In fact, some people can lie so well that they believe it themselves. Can I get an amen? They'll fight 
as if it's the truth when they know it's a lie because they've spent a life of doing that. And can I tell you something how I know about that? Because that was my life. That was why I wrote this book. That's why it's called this. You know the story. I'm not going to say it again. You can, you can read it yourself, but that's what I was. I, I was finally caught. I was finally called out as the liar that I was, even lied to the, to the girl of my dreams. But thank God she was, even if she didn't even know what she was doing, God made her big picture. God, God allowed her to look beyond the liar and the cheat and said, look, Sandy, I know you don't see it, but I need to use you so that he can see it. I need you to say some words to him. I need you to say five words. And I didn't perceive it at that moment. Wow, listen to the prophetic word over my life that God just used my little uh, girlfriend, fiance from, from Trafford, Alabama, to speak into my life. I took it as her words, that this was 100% Sandy saw greatness in me. And she did. But she'll tell you if you ask her, she has her own little section in the book where she talks about that moment. She'll tell you. I said the words, but it wasn't me. It was God in me. And I'm thankful. That's what I That's what I'll try to say. It sounds silly for those who don't know the story. But I'm your Sandy. I want to be your Sandy every Sunday, every Wednesday, everything online, any kind of teaching, podcast, anybody that's watching on YouTube. I want to be that, that person that grabs you and stretches that rubber band and says, listen, I know you can't see it, but I can see it. hurrying see throughout scripture some of the most famous characters that we know do you, you understand that every bible character except and i may i may be proven wrong on this you may know better than this but in my studies i found that every bible character in, in the old testament especially that's ever their story is ever told at any kind of length not just somebody's name is called but but i'm talking about where their story is told other than daniel and joseph in the old testament code of many colors joseph they're the only two that I can find that there is not one rebuke from God against. That doesn't mean they were perfect. I'm just saying in their story, we don't see a fall in these two. But every other one, and there's hundreds of them, we read about epic failure. The next thing in your notes is this. There is a reason why God didn't leave out the bad stuff when telling us their stories because we would never be able to relate to the word of God if every single person we ever read about real people not just Jesus but real people living their life trying to serve God old and new testament didn't have issues like us see one of my favorite stories is in chapter 1. And that's the story of my story. It's the, it's the foundation for everything that I am. You may have already read it. If you haven't read it, just bear with me. I'm not going to read a lot of it, but I want to read to you about one of my absolute favorite characters. It's from chapter 1. His name is Samson. How many loves the story of Samson? I want you to see something very interesting in the scripture from Samson from an earlier part in his life. This was long before he ever met Delilah. 
Many or most skip right over it. Samson was in the desert and he was very thirsty. He had just killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He cried out to God for something to drink and God caused the rock to split and bring forth fresh water. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he was revived. Therefore he called the name in Hakor, which in Lehi is in Lehi to this day. And then here's the part that we skip right over. And he judged Israel, led them as a, as a good leader for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Many jump right over the most significant part of that passage. His spirit returned, he was revived, and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Amid all of Samson's inner demons, God revived him. His spirit returned. This means the anointed side of him came back. He judged Israel for 20 years without public embarrassment or rage. But even after 20 years, there was still something inside fighting against his destiny, purpose, and calling. The Bible goes on to say that after 20 years, listen to this, quote, one day Samson got up and went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in and spent the night with her. After 20 years with no issues, one day he decides to throw it all away. He just needs to get up and start walking towards Gaza in his mind. He knew what was there. He knew why he was going. It was almost as if he had to do this to finally satisfy the tormented inner man. It was a path that the enemy had planned out to destroy Samson, not to destroy Samson, to destroy God's man. It reminds me of the famous quote, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. If you do not deal with the past and the hidden issues inside of you, they will deal with themselves for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. You can deny and push them aside all you want. But like Samson, one day you will get up and start heading down the path of exposure. I'm almost through. I remember the old time preachers from my childhood saying, you better clean those closets or the Lord's going to clean them for you. That may be a little hard line for some of the people in the modern church, but the truth is the truth cannot stay hidden. It will always come out either by choice or by force. When Samson started towards Gaza, he knew it was approximately, listen to this, 25 miles from his home. Gaza was the capital of the Philistines. He was headed straight to the most fortified and heavily armed area in all of the nation of his enemy. He was begging for someone to confront him. His intention was to go straight to the red light district and find a prostitute. He was a man on a mission. Whatever you do, don't miss this next point. We know that 25 miles is a long walk, but did you know that it comes to 52,800 steps? Samson had 52,800 chances to turn around. Samson didn't get up one day and decide to ruin his life. Those 25 miles were in him before he ever started walking. In reality, he had been walking towards this moment most of his adult life. Every day that passed without dealing with the inner truth of the real Samson was another step towards destruction. Just like Samson, people don't ruin their lives overnight. Most people don't decide to leave their spouse on a whim. No, they make a series of choices. They allow themselves to be in situations that they know they shouldn't be in. Or they have allowed outside voices to speak into them planting seeds of doubt in themselves or their spouse. Samson had 25 miles to change his mind. Many of you have been walking for years in the wrong direction. You have convinced yourself that if you just keep walking, 
you will finally get far enough away that no one will ever notice you. But there is an arrest warrant for you. Are you hearing me? You can run and you can walk and you can hide and you can sow fig leaves and you can take every step and every step, Holy Spirit, especially if you've ever known God and you're trying to run away from God. Every step that you take away from God, every one of them, whether you want to admit it or not, your inner man, your spirit man is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is not what you were created to do. Where are you going? Why are you going there? You know that is not why God created you. What are you doing? Last thing you notice is this. Samson had to deal with the real Samson. And you're going to have to deal with the real you. It wasn't until he had lost everything. And I'm not saying that God's going to make you lose everything before you know who you are in God. That first of all, we got a better promise, better covenant based on better promises. He'd rather you learn before you had to go through a lot of hell. But in the story of Samson, it took him losing everything and even his own sight to where he could never see his reflection again. Because, you know, he was that guy. He, if there would have been a jock in that time, he'd have been the guy every time he walked past a pond that was reflected, he'd be like, you look good, man. Keep it up, Samson. You're the man. But he couldn't see himself anymore. If they put a mirror right in front of him, he was blind. They plucked his eyes out. When they plucked his eyes out, it was the first time he ever saw himself. It was the first time he ever saw the real Samson. And the Bible said he remembered the words that the angel had said to his mother who was barren and could not have a child he remembered what they told him as a boy when the angel came and said you will have a son and he will deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines was at that moment head shaved in shackles spit running all over his face because they spit him bruises all over his body where they had beat him and eyes plucked out, tied to a, to a grinding stone, walking around a grinding stone, grinding meal like a common mule. That for the first time in his life, he talked to God as the real Samson. And he said, God, can I just feel your presence one more time? Just one more time power of God came on him the Bible I love this part (laughs) I love this part the people read right over it and said and the Philistines had not noticed that his hair had begun to grow but he couldn't see it something had happened in Samson one last time he said "It's it's not about me I've made my whole life about me God, if this is even the last moment of my life, let my life end and let it be a testimony that I left this world making an impact on my world and not about me. And he pushed. The Bible says in his death, he killed more Philistines than he'd ever killed in his life. And we know his story is a story of greatness. Because the only way, the greatness had nothing to do with ripping a line apart and, 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 and doing the feats of strength with his body. The greatness of Samson 
is when he finally saw himself the way God saw him. Every movie that's ever been made of Samson, he looks like the Hulk. I believe he was not that bulky. I believe he looked like a common man. Here's why I think that. Because every movie wants to make him look like he worked out and he was strong because of that. His strength never came from what he did and how he worked out. His strength only came from God. And I think it made it even more amazing that he looked just like a common man. This is my opinion. But at that moment, he was not common, was he? How many knows the natural becomes supernatural when you allow yourself to become who God sees you to be? Bow your heads all over this house. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the greatness that is in this house. I thank you, Lord, for the men and women of God that you have called to greatness, that you have called to make an impact in this house, in this community, in this city, in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, in the marketplace, and in the nations around the world. We commit to you, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. We want to see ourselves the way you see us. It's not about me. Let your your greatness, not my greatness, but your greatness come through me. In the name of Jesus, while every head is bowed, if you're here today and you say, I'm tired of running from the real me, I want to deal with my issues. I want to deal with the issues of my past, and I want to deal with the sin that's the secret sins right now that's in my life. Satan is sifting me, even as he did Peter, and I'm ready to give it to Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see hands going up. Praise God. Is there anybody else? Hands are going up. I'm talking about men and women of God who's been serving God for years and years and years are raising their hands right now. They're ready to deal with their inner demons is there anybody else is there anybody else hands are still going up is there anybody else don't care it another day stand to your feet all over this house stand to your feet all over this house say these words with me Jesus I'm tired of seeing myself the way the devil has told me that I am I'm ready to see me the way you see me I want to be big picture, like your big picture. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of every sin. Wash me clean. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I believe there is greatness within me. I have been called to greatness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have been praying for me. Even when I didn't pray for myself. You have been praying for me. I have a destiny. Here I am, Lord. I'm that rubber band. I'm ready to come out of the package and be in your hands. Stretch me in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Can we give them a shout of praise?